Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. Before we get into the Wild Card Weekend recap, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or your favorite podcasting platforms. Hit the like button, leave a comment, and turn on the notification bell so you get a notification every time we drop a podcast. 27-24, Bills over the Colts. It was a tough loss. It was a brutal way to end the 2020 season, and it feels like it's come to such an abrupt end. But that's the way it goes. When you lose in the playoffs, it always feels abrupt. It always feels sudden. It always feels rushed. It always feels like you should have another game next weekend. But that's just the way it goes. And this was reminiscent of 2005 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. A really, really good team. Maybe the best team we've had since the 2005 team. At least since the 2009 team. We love this roster. We've grown to love so many players and coaches and guys on this team as the seasons went on and it sucks when it comes to an end but credit the Buffalo Bills and shout out to Buffalo and their coaching staff and their players and their fan base 25 years it's been a quarter of a century since the last time the Buffalo Bills have won a playoff game so their fans deserve it they have a great fan base a loyal fan base great young quarterback in Josh Allen they've built around him the correct way They've developed him the correct way, trading a first-round pick for Stephon Diggs. People at the time said, it's not a good idea. Why are you giving up a first-round pick for Diggs? Look what the Texans just got back for DeAndre Hopkins. The market's not what it should be. And Stephon Diggs has proven everybody wrong. He's had a great year, and Allen's had a great year, an MVP caliber season. And then for the Colts, We're a good team. We outplayed them in many areas, and we outplayed them for, honestly, a good portion of this game. But unfortunately, when the clock hit double zeros, we didn't do enough to get this one. But you look at this Colts team, and it's going to be tough at first, and we're going to be pissed and sad about today's loss and the way the season ended. And you could think back to Pittsburgh, and if we had just held on, if we ran the ball more in the second half, we could have been hosting the Ravens this weekend. We could have had a home game. We could have won the AFC South. And there'll be a lot of retrospect thinking about this season. But when you really, really, really take a step back and you look at this Colts team from afar and you think about where we were a year ago and where we are today and the addition of DeForest Buckner and we had four we had four first team all pros on this team you have an all pro guard who's only 24 years old you have an all pro linebacker who's only 25 years old you have an all pro defensive tackle who's only 26 years old and then you have George Odom and then you have Ryan Kelly and you have Pittman and you have Taylor and you have all this talent. The Colts haven't seen this much talent in a long time in Indianapolis. And of course, we're going to have to patch a couple things up this offseason, which I believe we'll be able to do when you have a general manager like Chris Ballard. You have a guy you have faith in being able to turn negatives into positives and being able to find guys that maybe you wouldn't normally be able to find with an average GM because I think we have one of the best, if not the best, in the National Football League. So, as we head into this offseason, we do have a lot to be proud of and a lot to keep our head up about, keep our chins up, because you look at this team, we have four first-team All-Pros. They're all going to be 27 or younger week one of next season. So week one, September 2021, our four first-team All-Pros will all be 27 and younger. 
with Buckner and Leonard and Nelson. And then you look at this rookie class, and Pittman had a great game in a great first half, hundred over 100 yards from scrimmage in the first half. Jonathan Taylor and the way he ended his season, and Julian Blackman. So we have a lot to be excited about, a lot to be optimistic about. And we will scream and yell at parts throughout the course of this podcast as our emotions get the best of us thinking about this game and thinking about the way our 2020 season came to such an abrupt end. But when you really take a step back and you look at this season from afar, this was a good season, 11 wins, 11-5. We got to the postseason, and we played a 13-3 and Buffalo Bills team right down to the final seconds, a team that could be competing for a Super Bowl championship in a number of weeks because they have a ton of talent. The way they finished their season, they were averaging 38 points per game over their last six games. They were averaging 47 points per game over the last three games. They haven't lost in a month and a half, and we played them as tough as anybody the last, I would say, two months of the regular season. So this is nothing to put your head down over. This was a tough loss. We have the right to be upset. We have the right to be pissed about a bunch of things that happened in this game, which we'll get to. We have the right to be sad that our season's over. But at the same time, we have to appreciate 11-5, making the playoffs, falling and trailing 24-10 in this game, battling back, making it a one-score game, having ball and a chance to kick a game-tying field goal, to go to overtime or score a game-winning touchdown at the end of regulation. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, and the Colts go on to lose this game 27-24 against a really good good 13 and 3 Buffalo Bills team. No question and, and listen, this is as tough a loss. I mean, this might be the toughest loss that I've experienced as a fan since the Super Bowl. It sucks. But listen, you got to give the Bills credit. I'm happy for their fans. They haven't won. I mean, can you imagine not winning a playoff game in a quarter century? So, I mean, you give them credit. They they didn't beat themselves. I'm happy for a lot of their fans. Like I said, uh, I have a lot of friends that are Bills fans. And I'm happy for them. And, and listen, I hope they go on and, and I, I hope they win the Super Bowl. If anybody deserves it, it's that city and that town. You know, when you go to four straight Super Bowls and you don't win and you haven't won a game, a playoff game in 25 years, that's a, that's a lot of pain. So I do want to give them credit and congratulate them. As far as the Colts go, man, I'm proud of them. As uh, pissed as I am and as disappointed as I am, you know, and, and heartbroken, it's been a fun year, man. This is why we do this show. You know, this game was – I mean, this is what it's all about. We lost the game. It sucks to come up short in a game like this. But this is why you play. I mean, these games are why you play. And I'm really, really – I mean, I couldn't be more proud of the effort this team gave today. Did they play great? No. They Did they make mistakes that probably cost them the game? Yes. But at the end of the day, you could do two things when you fall behind the Bills 24-10. You can, you can go back out there and get blown out by 25 – you know, by 30 points. Or you can bow your neck. And they say, you know what, we're not going out like this. And the Colts bowed their neck. They got back in the game. They fought to the very end. They, they were really one fumble recovery away, I think, from one in this game on that last, that last Nico Autry sack when he stripped the ball. If, if, if the ball bounces one other way, like the, uh, further away from Muhammad, he picks it up, maybe even scores. So, I mean, that's how, that's how close it is in this league. It's, it's such a game of inches, and, and you see, like, that fumble at the end. And, and if, if that just goes, you know, we just get a little break there and it bounces a certain way, I mean, it's a totally different end of the game. But that's, that's football. That's the way it goes. And it wasn't our day. But as far as just an overall feeling, man, it was a fun year, 11 wins. We hadn't won 11 games since 2014, some huge wins over some really good teams. And, listen, we went into Buffalo. We, we gave them everything they, you know, they could handle. And, and 
You know, we, we just, you can't make mistakes against a team like that. We made some mistakes and we came up short at the end, but we had the ball with a chance to tie or win at the end. And that's really all you can ask for in that situation. So really proud of the team, Luke. I, it's been a fun year, brother. I, I know it hurts right now, but, uh, Man, I've had fun this year with you. It's been a, a terrible year as far as outside of football and all the things that have gone on. So it's been great to just enjoy this season with you and, and uh, you know, watch this team grow. And you're right, man. The future's bright. It, it's so bright for this team. All of our best players are young. Uh, and I'm really, really excited about next year. Obviously, that's a topic for another day as we get into this game. But like you said, all of our best players are young. And uh, we're, we're, we'll be better for this. I really believe that. We, these young guys will learn from this. We'll be better for this. And, uh, you know, the future's bright for this team. So anybody that, you know, thought we were going to be super, you know, down about the team, we still believe in these guys. We still think the future's bright. It's just a tough day, you know, because the season comes to an end. And, uh, you know, it was a kind of a – it's one of those games where it's just – it really sucks that it, either team had to lose because it was so close. But – you know, it's just one of those things, man. It's the game. It's just how football goes. So, yeah, man, I, I I don't have a lot more else to add other than that, just on the overall thoughts of the team this year. But I am very, very proud of the Colts, and I'm proud to be a fan of this team. Yeah, and the difference to me between a loss during the year and after the season is usually the difference between being pissed after a loss and being more sad after a loss because you're sad the season's over, you're not going to advance, we're not playing next week. And there was points in this game where I'm thinking, oh my God, we might have a game next week against Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. And then everything just comes to such an abrupt end. You have ball at midfield. They don't overturn the fumble on the challenge at the end of the game or the automatic review under two minutes at the end of the game with Pascal. And I'm thinking, oh my God, we're going to get into field goal range. We're going to score a touchdown, whatever. And it doesn't happen, and everything just comes. Because in those last 28 seconds, you could end up winning the game, moving on, or you could end up going to overtime where you could win and move on, or what happens could happen. And it sucks that it happens, but the difference between the middle of the season and now, like even after a couple wins, people are like, why are you mad? We won the game. And we're looking to grow and grow and grow. And obviously we want this team to grow this offseason, but it's a little bit different than during the year where you lose or you win a close game with the Texans and then you have the Steelers the next week. And we wanted certain things that happen in the Texans game to not happen in the Steelers game. So we're talking about these things like this can't happen, this can't happen, and then we go out against Pittsburgh and all those things happen. And then you play a good team and those things happen and you lose. Like today, there's a couple things we would have been able to overcome and win against the Jaguars, against the Texans, against some of the bad teams we might have played during the regular season, but now you're playing a good Bills team and they're going to do enough and it's pretty crazy that with all the mistakes we made and all the opportunities we blew in this game that we were still so close to making a comeback coming from behind and winning this game at the end but let's start in the first half Jason because actually I don't know there's a couple places I wanted to start I want to start really with two different things one the first half and how we really should have been up big in the first half but I also want to go through the five plays that I really think were the difference in this game you had Komoko Ture jumping off sides, giving them four points right before the half. You had the missed field goal by Rodrigo Blankenship, and it was a chip shot. I think it was like 35, 37 yards, so it was almost an extra point that he missed. We go on to lose by three points. The Ture offsides costs us four points. The third down call at the one-yard line, and then the fourth down, lack of execution. I like going for it, lack of execution, 
and Rivers, maybe he could have made a better throw. Pittman, maybe he could have caught that ball. Obviously, it doesn't happen, and we leave points on the board there. And then the Allen fumble and just the bounce not going in our direction, that could have turned into a scoop and score. That could have turned into our ball at midfield with plenty of time on the clock and just the ball not bouncing in our direction. We do get it back, however. And then at the end of the game, not having a timeout because when you go back to earlier in the game, Wright challenged a play that had a 0% chance of getting overturned. There was no chance, and you already burned a timeout, which could also be number six or it could be number five along with the challenge, where he calls a timeout to save a delay a game, and at the time you are saving five yards, so I don't think it's as bad as the challenge because I didn't see any positive outcome of the challenge. At least the first timeout, you still have two more in your back pocket, and you also do save yourself five yards. But I'll sacrifice those five yards on a drive we don't score a touchdown to have that timeout in our back pocket at the end of the game. Because at the end of the game, you can't even throw it to the middle of the field because there's 12 seconds left. So everything is boundary, 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 boundary with a 39-year-old quarterback. If we were able to open up to the middle of the field, we at least get into field goal range, at least take a shot at kicking a game-tying field goal. So just... The lack of awareness, the lack of feel for the game, burning a timeout early in the third quarter, and then burning another timeout on a challenge that had no positive outcome in sight. And then you have no timeouts there at the end of the fourth quarter. I think we used our last one with four or five minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. So we have no timeouts down the stretch, and you're trying to get in field goal range, and there's under 20 seconds to go, and you can't stop the clock unless you get out of bounds. Because even if you threw over the middle of the field, If you threw it 20 yards downfield, there's a good chance you don't get to the line to spike the ball. Or, God forbid, you get sacked. So everything was quick, quick out of the hands, sideline. So those are the big five plays to me in this game. You had the Terre offsides, cost us four points. You had the missed field goal, cost us three points. You had the third down slash fourth down call and lack of execution. That cost us seven points, three or seven points, depending on how you want to look at it not recovering the Allen fumble, which was just bad luck and the ball bouncing in their direction. That cost us at least three, maybe seven points. Could have had a scoop and score. And then the challenge at the end of the game or the challenge taking our timeout away at the end of the game cost us probably another three, maybe seven points because we had an opportunity to stop the clock if we had a timeout. And, of course, we didn't have a timeout, so we're not able to stop the clock. And I thought those were probably the five biggest plays in this game where if you change one or two we probably go on to win and unfortunately all five went in the Bills favor yeah and I would add a sixth thing we just dropped too many passes and you can't do it you just cannot do it against anybody but especially against a team like Buffalo Um, all those things you listed are just things that can't happen I mean other than the Allen fumble that we didn't recover that's just bad luck but the Teray penalty is just I mean that was just I don't have words for that. That's just mind-numbingly stupid. Uh, And we said this in the pregame. You can't get dumb penalties. And that was a dumb penalty. That cost us four points. You can't miss chip shot field goals. You can't, you know, I mean, Reich, and listen, I'm not going to turn this into a bash Reich fest, but he, when he gets in short yardage, he overthinks everything. And that third down play was a killer that third down pitch play to Taylor trying to run wide at the goal line when you, I mean, just, dude, just run a sneak four times. He's going to get in the end zone. Like, I, I just, it's so frustrating. He just, he's, 
there's so many good things about him. But then, like, when he's in short yardage, it's like he panics or he tries to do, to do off-the-wall things, and I just don't understand it, man. It's so frustrating. But like you said, Luke, man, those five things that you listed plus the drops, you just can't do them. You can't do those things and win in the playoffs, man. And we said that going into this game, the Colts are going to have to play their best game. And did they play good in spurts? Yeah, absolutely, on both sides of the ball. I thought the defense – Generally, I thought the defense played well enough to win. I thought going into this game, if we held them under 30 points, we'd have a really good shot to win. And we held them to 27. So I thought the defense was good enough to win. I thought Rivers played good enough to win. I thought Reich let his team down today. That's that's as plain as I can say it. Yes, the players made mistakes. They dropped some passes. But that, that ridiculous call on the, 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 on the goal line, with the, with the with the Taylor pitch, and then the I mean I, I don't even know what to say about the challenge. It was just stupid on every level, and it really I mean it killed us down the stretch not having that that timeout. And so I really just feel bad for the players, man. I thought they played well enough to win. I, I just thought in just in certain situations, right? Just just lost his. I don't know what panic. I don't know got out coached. I I don't know what you want to say, but. You just can't you can't do those things against a, a really good team and and Buffalo is just that a very good team and and so you know we came up short it's frustrating and, and disappointing and you know it sucks because it's the end of our season but man he's really got he has got tape to look a, at himself in the mirror at the you know when we when he does his self reflection on this season and really get introspective because there's a lot of stuff that I like about him, but he's got to figure it out. Like he's got to get a better feel for the game or he needs to, to hand over the play call and do duties to Sirianni. Yeah. And we've said it all year. The most frustrating part of Frank Reich is how much smarter he is and how much better he is than these mistakes. You don't move the ball from the 20 to inside the five as easily and smoothly as he does week after week after week and continue to get stalled every single week with the same reoccurring issues. And there's, Plenty of coaches, and if you want to make the comparison to Pagano, obviously a defensive coach, but still as a head coach, Pagano, we were angry, but a lot of it was almost directed at Ursay. Like, you have to fire this guy because he's so incompetent. He's so inept. But there was nothing even Pagano could do about it. So we would get mad at Pagano, but there was a mental limitation to his ability to coach. He just couldn't. He just flat out couldn't coach. With Reich, there's a lot of good, or I should say the good is great, but then there's this weird gray area that comes up every single week. It could come up in a win, it could come up in a loss, but there's just a few series per game, and when the stakes rise and you're in the playoffs, you can't afford it, where he outsmarts himself. And in this game, the main series, because the game plan was good, and the game plan actually was very similar to what we talked about in the game preview, getting the tight ends involved and everything we talked about in the preview. He stuck to the run, didn't use Hines enough, but he stuck to the run, I thought, for the most part before we went down two touchdowns and he was running into a loaded box. So I like the overall game plan. I thought he did a good job with that. We moved the ball pretty well for the most part and I thought he did a good job with that. But then when we got inside the five-yard line, or really the red zone period, the four drives the first four drives that got into the red zone resulted in 10 points now the missed field goal is not his fault but you only had 10 points in four red zone possessions 
that's averaging 2.5 points per trip to the red zone, and you did score one touchdown in there. That's inexcusable. You can't win games in this league doing that, especially win playoff games on the road against really good football teams. And that third and one inside the one-yard line call was just peak our problem with Reich. Our problem with Reich to a T. You're moving the ball. They can't stop you. Everything's working. You're clicking on all cylinders. You get inside the one-yard line. Impose your will. You have arguably the best back the last month of the season, probably number two behind only Derrick Henry. He's physical. He's hard to get to the ground. He didn't have the greatest game today, but pound him inside the one-yard line. If you run it twice with him or you bring Jacoby in and you go QB keeper twice with Jacoby, just basic, stop me, I'm daring you, I'll give you the play call, you still won't be able to stop me. That's what you have to do in that situation. Pitching it outside and then pitching it outside to Taylor instead of pitching it outside to Hines, who probably does get around the edge and get into the end zone. He just completely overthought it. Then you lose four yards. You could kick there. I wasn't totally against going for it. And maybe the throw could have been a little bit better. Maybe Pittman could have caught it. But what bothered me more than going for it on fourth down and not getting it, because I like the aggression, and also you're making Allen before the half go 96 yards to score a touchdown. He does that, and credit to the Buffalo Bills offense. But I wasn't mad about going for it. I was more upset that third and one from the one-yard line, third and goal from the one-yard line, we're pitching it outside, losing yards, instead of manning up and pounding the rock up the middle. Because you're in four-down territory, fine. Pound it twice. They're not going to stop it twice. But when you bounce it outside and then you have Rivers run back 15 yards and throw up a fade to the corner of the end zone, then you're now playing into the Bills. If I'm the Bills, I'm saying, please run wide. And then if I'm the Bills, I'm saying, please go for it and have Rivers throw off his back foot from the 18-yard line. That's what I would want if I were Buffalo. I would say, please do not, because we could put 11 guys in the box. We might not stop Taylor two times in a row up the middle. And that's just a problem we've had with Reich all year, where he's seemingly coaching for the other team, making it harder for his team, and you could call it whatever you want, outsmarting himself, getting too cute, whatever you want to call it. It happens way, way, way too often. We've talked about it all year long, and it was very fitting that we saw it today in what was the biggest game of the year, a playoff game on the road, where you're driving the ball, you're really dominating the first half, time of possession, yards, everything, and you only had 10 points to show for it at half. So I thought that was one of the big game changers in this game because we could have taken a big lead. We could have went up by, I think, 10 points at the time because we were up 10-7. Could have been 17-7. And unfortunately, no points on that drive. And that third and one call just killed me. Yeah, that's a, I mean, listen, a lot of things happen in this game. But if you really want to boil this game down to one play, I, I think that's the play. Because if we if we just take – I really believe this. If we just put Brissett in the game and let him sneak it twice and push him with, with a back from behind, we get in the end zone at 17-7, it's a different game. It's a different game. Yep. But instead, instead of doing that – and there's no guarantee they don't go down there and score and it's 17-14 at half. But instead – Still better than what okay, it was. I mean, it's still better than what it was. And in, instead, you don't get anything – they go down the field, they score, and now you're down 14 to 10 after thoroughly outplaying them for the first in the in the first half. So honestly, boiled down to one play, that to me that was the game. 
The game changed after that. We were chasing them. We never made Allen panic. He's a third-year quarterback in his second-ever playoff game. He panicked last year. We saw what happened. He did late in the game have that fumble in this game. So we just never put that pressure on him from a score standpoint where, oh, God, we're down by 10 points. We've been crushing teams. We've been scoring 40 points a game, 30 points a game, 31 points something the entire season. And then to end the year, they were insane scoring 40 points, 50 points every week. And we never put that pressure on them where they looked up at the scoreboard, started counting the clock and saying, you know what? It's go time. And they always were comfortable. And we dominated the first half. And that's really, really the tough pill to swallow with this game. When you look at the first half, Field positioning, the way we flipped the field on them, they started every drive at the 5, at the 2, at the 6, at the 15. Their best starting field position the entire first half was at the 15-yard line. So we were killing it with field positioning. We dominated time of possession 19 minutes and 41 seconds to 10 minutes and 19 seconds in the first half. So we damn near doubled the time of possession, we held them to 0 for 4 on third down. So we doubled time of possession. We did not allow them to convert on one single third down in the first half. We did jump off sides on the fourth down, leading to four extra points, a touchdown right there before the half. But we dominated this half from field positioning to time of possession to third down defense and efficiency. And we were 4 for 8 on third down. They were 0 for 4. We're trailing 14-10 at the half. It's almost not possible when you look at the numbers that we were trailing at the half of this game. But that's what happens when you have a drive end inside the 5-yard line without points. And going into the half, it felt like Baltimore. We dominated Baltimore. We had a 10-point lead. We dominated Pittsburgh. We had a 17-point lead. And both of those games, and those were double-digit leads. We were up by 10 points, and it felt like it should have been 40 points against the Ravens. We were up by 17 points. It felt like it should have been 28 points or 30 points or 40 points against the Steelers, and we lost both of those games. We actually did a better job in the second half of this game staying in it and only losing by three. We won the second half by one point because we were down four at the half. We lose the game by three points, so we actually outplayed them score-wise in the second half. But it's just when you outplay a team that's really a good team in the first half and you have nothing to show for it or you have a four-point deficit to show for it, that's really disheartening. So at halftime, I was thinking, you know what, this this feels awful because we've had every opportunity to be up by 10 points, by 13 points, 14 points right now, and we're trailing at the half. And if you could have put three more points or seven more points on the board in the first half, or if Torrey doesn't jump off sides and you hold them to 10 and it's 10-10 at the half, I think we win this game. And there was just those five or six main key points, those main key differences in this game where every single one of them went against the Colts. And if just one or two went in our favor, it's going to be a different outcome and a really upbeat podcast. No question. And listen, the bottom line is the, the reason why that team is 13-3 and three is they don't, they don't make mistakes. Yep. They don't beat themselves. We, and we did. And we've, done, and we've done it periodically out throughout the season. It started in Jacksonville. We really, you know, we beat ourselves in that game. And there's been other games. You know, and you can do it multiple ways. The, the big thing today was we didn't turn the ball over. And we, we you know, we were 7-0 and when we did that. But we did so – coming in this game, we were 7-0 and when we didn't turn the ball over. But when you do all these things that Luke listed 
earlier in the show, it, it just kind of erases that. I mean, we were in the game, but you know, four possessions inside the inside the red zone, and and you don't really get anything out of it. And I mean, and I and, we, and I say this repeatedly, but you just can't do that. You just can't drop passes. You can't get horrible penalties, and you know, piss away timeouts. And you just the Bills did none of that. They didn't piss away timeouts. They didn't drop passes. They didn't get dumb penalties. I mean, that's why they won the game. The difference in the game was the Bills did not beat themselves. That was the difference in the game. When they when, and they didn't miss field goals, they made plays when they had to make them. That was the difference in the ball game. And it's it sucks because I thought the Colts actually were the better team as far as like they they dominate. Like Luke said, they dominated the first half and they and they they played really really good football until they got in the red zone and then they just self destructed and. You know, or or they self destruct on a on a on a you know trying to draw them offside. You jump offside. You give them four points. And listen, the Bills are a great football team. They're 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 very capable of going to the Super Bowl. And sometimes just not beating yourself wins you games. And today, that's what won them the game. They did not beat themselves. Nah, they didn't beat themselves, and we definitely did. And all year long, because we're seven and zero up until this game, seven and zero in the regular season when we don't turn the ball over. In this game, we came in saying no turnovers equals a win. And that's been the formula all year. And you can't beat yourself more than turning the ball over. Turning the ball over is the ultimate beating yourself. And in this game, we didn't turn it over, but we found other ways to shoot ourselves in the foot, as Chuck would say, whether it be the offense inside the five-yard line or missing a field goal, which we also talked about. It's tough to kick field goals in Buffalo. And, of course, we end up missing a field goal in this game. And then their kicker, it's part of the game. He hits from 54. So we missed from 35 or whatever it was. They hit from 54, and he hit another one, I think, from 48. So they made two big kicks. We missed a pretty easy kick, a chip shot kick off the upright. And you add all these things up, and it comes out to be a three-point loss. So it does make me feel good about where the overall roster is and where the talent is on this roster. I would like to see Wright give up play calling next year because I think he's a good coach in terms of game plan, in terms of preparation, in terms of a bunch of different categories. But he definitely struggles with in-game play calling from time to time. Not all of it, but situationally I feel like his feel for the game is off situationally and then also that that challenge I mean that has nothing to do with calling plays but damn that was that was rough and I don't care what anybody says oh you're focusing way too much on a challenge do you know what it is to not have a timeout when you have ball with 30 seconds to go at midfield it changes the entire offense and he pissed two out of those three timeouts away where we didn't have the luxury of throwing to the middle of the field and calling a timeout. The difference between having a timeout there and not having a timeout is huge because you're literally eliminating both hash marks, the entire middle of the field, everything's to the boundary. You don't have a great boundary arm quarterback, and the Bills know it, so they're taking it away. They're daring us to throw to the middle of the field. I still might have tried it with 12 seconds to hurry up to the line and spike it, but you're putting all your eggs in that basket, and then you have to hit the the long field goal after your kicker already missed a chip shot. Yeah, it's it's brutal. It's a brutal loss. It's 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 up there with the. I mean, listen, it's I I wouldn't say it's the Steelers no five bad, but it's definitely up there because we could. I mean, very easily could have won this game, and we just did so many things like we just can't do. And 
in these type of games, and if we just don't do one of them, whether if it's Blankenship making the field goal, or we don't jump off sides, or we don't, you know, piss away two timeouts, like, if we could have just not done one of those things, I think we win the game. That's what makes it so heartbreaking. Yep. But, I mean, there, Luke, the one thing I will say was, is there was a lot of positives. I thought Phillip Rivers was outstanding. I thought the offensive line was outstanding. The tight ends were, were great. I mean, I, I thought the team, for the most part, between the 20s especially, was, was outstanding. I thought Phillip took care of the ball. The offensive lineman kept them clean. We said that was a huge part of it. I mean, he he was very rarely pressured, and they and they stuck to the run. He was patient with the run. There's a lot of positives in this game. It's just those things that we mentioned that you can't do, like a combination of all of those things. If we just catch some of those passes, you know what I mean? Like, it just it's so heartbreaking as a fan because the potential of this team, and I and I wholeheartedly believe this. The potential of this team to me was was Super Bowl caliber. The roster's good enough. They they went toe to toe with the Bills, one of the best teams, the hot by far the hottest team in the league. They held them under thirty points. They went up and down the field on them. They just struggled in the red zone and they made mistakes you can't make. So it's it's very it's it's very frustrating and, and really more more I'm just sad, man. It's the end of the season. I love this team. I really love this locker room. You know, they really – they gave it everything they had, and, and it's just such a tough year with COVID and everything. It, it just – I really thought we were going to find a way there, and it just it just didn't work out. And it's, in the way it ended was brutal. But, I mean, you, you, you do have to give the Colts some credit and, their, and you know, Phillip Rivers and, and the receivers and all those guys. For, you know, just – they hung in there. They hung tough. The defense hung tough. I thought Darius was outstanding Sorry. today. I thought Buckner was really good. You know, I I thought other than that one big play to to Diggs, they they uh, they were really good as far as keeping things in front of them and making them go the long route. So I mean, as much as I'm frustrated with the things that we did to shoot ourselves in the foot, I'm also very proud of the way the guys played and the way they hung in there and they fought back because everything was going against them. I mean, everything. Any until the end, every fifty fifty call went the other way. And they got the calls right. I'm not. I'm not saying the calls are wrong. I'm just saying it. Just these these things that were the the game of inches, as, as people like to say. The 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 inches of keeping your feet in bounds or having your feet out of bounds or the play by Rogers, that great play made in the end zone, so close to a pick, just so close, and it makes it heartbreaking. But I am more than anything just proud to be a fan of this team. Proud of the effort they showed. So many must you know must win games, especially after you start off the season with that tough loss in Jacksonville and to come back and fight and fight the way they did and make the playoffs. And yes, we got help from Buffalo, but this is definitely a playoff caliber team and a team that I thought really could, could make a run to the Super Bowl. So as heartbroken as I am and sad as I am, and I'm probably going to be sad for the next week because it usually takes at least a week for me to get over these end of season games. I'm very, very proud of the way not only um, you know the 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 offense played and Philip Rivers really I thought acquitted himself well in this game. I thought the defense really you know held it down for those guys and and yeah people are going to say oh you're an Eberflus apologist and all this other stuff I can hear it now. I love the guy. I think he's going to be a great head coach. I thought his the defense didn't play great today, but they really didn't play bad. You're you're going against an elite offense and they the average is 32 points a game. The Colts held them to 27. They didn't get any turnovers, and they still managed to keep them under 30. I really thought the defense was, was solid and played well enough to win. I thought getting Kari Willis back was huge. I thought he played well. 
you know, you just can't, it, it just comes down to the mistakes and you just can't make those in this game. But I'm still really, really proud of this team and the future is bright as far as next year goes. I just, I hope there's by some way, some crazy way we get Flus back for another year because I think uh, if we get a, if we get an edge, if he can, you get Flus an edge rusher, this defense is going to be something special. Like just, I mean, we have no edge rushing right now. We got very little pressure on Allen in this game, and the one time we did get pressure, he fumbled the ball. So if you get him an edge rusher, our defense will be top five next year. But unfortunately, I, I don't think he's going to be here. I think he's going to get a head coaching job. So if that was the last game for Flus, I thought he did a good job. I thought the game plan was good. I thought the defense really hung tough. And, you know, other than the red zone offense, I, and, and Reich having brain farts. I really was proud of the way the team played today. They, they they did the best they could. They left it all out there. It just wasn't good enough. Yeah, and then also, I know nobody wants to hear it, but we are only 16 months removed from Andrew Luck retiring at 30, 31 years old, 30 years old at the time, turning 31, now he's 32. And that was just last August, August of 2019. And here we are one year later, with one off season to fill that void, and we plug in Philip Rivers, we get to eleven and five, our best record since two thousand and fourteen. We get to the playoffs, like that's a lot to be pumped about. You look at the All Pros, you look at DeForest Buckner and Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard. All these guys are twenty six and under. The oldest out of that bunch yeah. is going to be DeForest Buckner. Week one of next year, he'll be twenty seven. You still have five plus prime years at that age going into the 2021-2022 season. So there's a lot to be pumped about, optimistic about. We obviously have the right, not just the right guy, but we have the best GM in the league probably, in my opinion, in Chris Ballard. And you know he's going to fix whatever issues we had throughout the course of this year. And he actually did fix the left tackle position. It was a little bit late. But, I mean, I guess you can't say it's late. We got to the playoffs. But he fixed that with Valdir at the end of the year. It would have been nice to bring in somebody of that caliber maybe week five after that Browns loss because we had a couple issues with the backup tackle spot. But we go into this game without our starting left tackle. We allow zero sacks against a good Bills defense that's spread out. They had multiple guys with three plus, four plus, and then one guy with five sacks coming into this game. So that's a good defense. It's a good team. And it's really impressive how much talent in such a short period of time has been accumulated in Indianapolis. And it's all young talent. So we're going to be back. We're going to be better. And we're going to continue to build this thing with Chris Ballard. And that is something that you have to be excited about as you go into this offseason. This was not an all-in. Like, if you're Phillip Rivers right now, it's a lot more difficult because you're 39 years old. This could be the end for you. You don't know if you're coming back or not. But when you look at the majority of this roster, the nucleus, the trenches, all those guys, for the most part, are coming back. And we're going to get into that as the offseason proceeds. And we'll talk about certain guys that are free agents, if they should or should not be back, or if they will or will not be back. But in terms of the core guys, they're all under contract. They're all coming back. Nelson, Leonard, Buckner, Moore, all those guys. Taylor, they're all shoe-ins to come back. I thought Pittman was great in the first half of this game. We got away from him in the second half, but... He had 100-plus all-purpose yards from the line of scrimmage in the first half of this game as a rookie. So we had a lot of rookies, and every year with Ballard, you have rookies showing up, and then not just in the regular season, but today in the postseason. So that's all great stuff to be able to build on as you go now into the offseason. And I'm really proud that after trailing by 14 points, 24-10, we battled back. We got back into the game. We lose by three with 
possession at the end of the game with a chance to win it or a chance to at least tie and enforce overtime. And sometimes it makes it sting a little bit more because then you think, ah, one play here, one play there. It's a different outcome. But you could also get ran off the field. And then you're sitting here and like you the, might not like be thinking that. Did. but You might not be thinking that, but you're thinking differently. You're thinking, wow, we just didn't belong. And we could go to sleep tonight knowing, wow, we belong with the top of the top. And this Buffalo team could be in the Super Bowl in a month. They could win a Super Bowl in a month. And then you could say, wow. We were one play away, like in 2005, we were one play away from beating the Pittsburgh Steelers, who go on to win the Super Bowl. Wow, we were one play away from beating the Buffalo Bills, who go on to win the Super Bowl. It wasn't like that in 2014. Yeah, we go on to lose to the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots, or <laughs> you know, but we lost yeah. that game by what, 38 points? 100. 100 <laughs> points? So yeah. it's a lot different. I mean... I mean, like, Luke, I, I just want to say this, just to, not to cut you off, I apologize, but I just want to say this. You made a good point, man. The Colts very easily could have got run off the field, and you don't have to think back very far to see a team get run off the field. The Miami Dolphins were playing for their lives. Now, granted, they're in a different position as far as rebuilding and all that, but they were fighting for their playoff lives, and they got smoked. They got smoked in, by a team that was really not playing for anything with their backup quarterback, and they just got blown off the field. And I'm not saying – we're not better than Miami. I think we are a better team than Miami. But the Colts could have very easily taken that route and just laid down at the end of the game. But that's not the character of this team. It's not the DNA of this team. And so, yeah, I'm very proud of the effort. You know, sometimes you make mistakes and, and players are human and things don't work out. But you can never, you can never fault this team for their effort. They, they laid it all out on the line. And, uh, you know, as tough as it is, and it's it sucks, dude. This is a brutal loss. I am very proud of the way that they hung in there and fought to the very end with a chance to win. And one other thing, Luke, before before we sign off, I want to say this, and I and I and people know that they listen to the show that I've been a big proponent of Philip Rivers, and I just want to I want to say this about him. I hope he's back for another year. I think he's earned it. I think people need to remember. He had no – this was not a normal offseason. There were no OT – everything was Zoom. There were – I mean, in 11 padded practices, there were no preseason games. So he didn't get a lot of time with these receivers. I want him to run it back with this guy. People were saying, no, no, we need a more uh, athletic guy back there. And, and, yes, he's not athletic. But he makes up for the lack of athleticism with his ability to read defenses and get us into good plays or out of bad plays. I would put him against anybody in the league when it comes to identifying blitzes or identifying what, you know, di different defensive schemes or things that teams are running. I would put him against anybody. He, he's so good at that. We were always in the right play today. And I just think the world of the guy, my respect level for him this year has gone up so much. His knowledge of defenses and his knowledge uh, and his intelligence as a quarterback is off the charts. It really blew me away this year, and I really hope that they bring him back for another season. I think he would be better next year, and he wasn't bad this year. I mean, he threw for damn near 25 touchdowns, 11 picks after a you know a 23 and 20 year where everybody's saying, "Oh, he's washed. He's a turnover machine." No, he he. You put him with a good team with an offensive line, he can still play. He can. Play. I mean, I I think he's got a couple years left in him, honestly. And I know people don't want to hear that because he's he's older and guys fall off a cliff quickly. But we run we run a quick pace, fast pace, get the ball out offense, 
and he can still make all those throws. I mean, he had a great throw to Pascal today where it was just perfect. I mean, it was two, there, was, there was a guy covering from behind and a linebacker coming over, and he placed it perfectly into his hands. He still can make those plays. No turnovers today. And so I just want to say thank you to the guy. I mean, I, I know a lot of people hated him coming here because, of, you know, he kicked our ass all those years in San Diego. Uh, and I, I get you. I was with you. You know, I felt the same way about him. But I have a whole new respect for him as a football player. His intelligence, like I said, is off the charts. And, and so I, I do want to say if he does decide to retire, I appreciate the one year he gave us because it was a fun year. He got us to the playoffs. We absolutely do not make the playoffs without Phillip Rivers on this roster. No question. He was absolutely good enough, and he can still play in this league. But if he decides this is it, I just want to say thank you to the guy. I have a ton of respect for him. He's tough as nails, never complains, great teammate, played through pain, always there for his teammate, came out whenever Jacoby would go in, no bitching and moaning. And when people would try to ask him about injuries, he, he would not talk about it. Never said anything about it. Just went out there and played his ass off. And, you know, after the first five games, he was outstanding, Luke. I mean, he was really, really good. And he played well enough to win. He deserves a better fate today. I thought he played an outstanding game, took care of the ball, kept us up, kept us in the game. And um, I really hope we bring him back for a year. But if we don't, man, I really I really have enjoyed watching him play quarterback for us this year. He, he was uh, fun to watch, and he – he definitely changed my opinion of him, and I, I'm telling you, man, there's there's not a smarter quarterback in this league, and that's that's probably the biggest thing I've learned about him that 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 he is just an absolutely, I mean, that his IQ, his football IQ, is reminds me of Peyton. I'm not saying he's he's as smart as Peyton or anything like that. Nobody's as smart as Peyton, but I'm saying he's got that type of IQ where you know he can read defenses and just it, it just people don't give him enough credit. They really don't, and so. I thought I was happy to see the way he played today. And if this was his last game, I thought he went out playing really good football. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because I never realized he was a smart watching him in San Diego and Los Angeles. I always thought he was more of like a backyard scrapper, like a Brett Favre kind of guy. And he's really not. He's more of a Peyton Manning student of the game quarterback, which has really impressed me and shocked me. And it's funny, I guess you have to be if you don't have the physical traits, if you can't run, if you can't escape the pocket. He could do enough like Brady Manning where he could take that step up in the pocket. He could do a little bit side to side just to give himself maybe a half a second to get the ball off. But obviously he's not going to blow anybody away with his legs or come close to doing so. He is probably the least athletic quarterback in the National Football League. But when you think of the animal kingdom, the turtle, super, super slow, but it has that hard protective shell. The porcupine has the spikes, and Philip Rivers has the football IQ. So you almost need to have other elite traits to be able to last. You can't be 39 years old, play like you're playing in the backyard, and not be intelligent. Like You can't have nothing going for you. You have to have something that makes up for the lack of mobility and the lack of athleticism. And for Philip Rivers, it's his brain and it's also the quick pass. The quick pass is like a protection mechanism where he would have been, even behind a great offensive line, he would have been killed months ago if he held the ball as long as Jacoby. Because, I mean, even Jacoby last year, he got sacked more times than Rivers did this year. And Jacoby had a better offensive line last year because there was never injuries. He never had to have Chaz Green or LaRaven Clark or any of these guys 
web in the game. He always had the five, the starting five, each and every game. Costanzo never missed a snap last year or Braden Smith or any of the guys. So when you think about Phillip Rivers and his football IQ, it's really been a big reason why he's played this long. And then also, he's tough as nails. And you have to respect that. He's played through a torn ACL. He's played all year on turf toe and a broken toe or whatever it's been, carpal tunnel or whatever that word is. So he's played through a lot. He's played through a lot of pain. You got to respect a guy like that who just loves the game so much. He's going to show up and he's not going to bitch and moan and complain. He doesn't even do the fake hobble. You know a lot of guys when they make a bad throw or something. The Ben Roethlisberger, exactly. A guy makes a bad throw, and he does like a little slow hop because he's embarrassed how bad the throw was or how bad the drop was or he fumbled or he missed a tackle, and they get up hobbling as if they're, oh, the only reason I dropped it, the only reason I made that bad throw, the only reason I missed the tackle is because of this ankle injury, and then they're fine two plays later because they were never actually hurt. Well, Rivers is the complete opposite. He'll tear his ACL and he'll act like he isn't hurt. He'll break his toe, and he'll act like he isn't hurt. The guy's absolutely tough as nails, and you can't play 230-something, 240-something consecutive games or whatever it's been for Philip Rivers since 2005 or 2006 without missing an NFL game, an NFL start, without having injuries. You're going to have injuries. The most durable guys aren't just guys who are immune to injury. They're guys who are able to play through pain, and that's not a knock on a guy who misses a game. There's certain things you can't play through. Philip Rivers has also been very fortunate. He never ruptured an Achilles. He never had an injury that he wasn't able to play through. This year, all the guys who played in every game were very fortunate they didn't get COVID. Not that COVID's the biggest deal in the world. I had it. It was nothing to me, at least. I, you know, I was fine, and DeForest Buckner was asymptomatic, and Braden Smith was asymptomatic. But you look at Buckner, super durable throughout the course of his career. He catches this virus, this airborne virus you can't see, It had no effect on him. He was asymptomatic, and he couldn't play because he tested positive. So, you know, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's being durable. Sometimes it's being able to play through a high tolerance of pain. And Phillip Rivers checks all of those boxes as he's, what, 17 years into his career, and he's still playing and still playing at a high enough level to win 11 games to get this team to the playoffs. And what I would like to see, Jason, is I don't know what, for example, the market is going to be for Sam Darnold. But let's say you could get Sam Darnold. Bleacher Report this morning was saying a third-round pick in Ben Banigou. I do that in half a heartbeat. Then essentially you have two young quarterbacks with first-round talent, like first-round natural ability in Darnold and Eason, and you got one for a third-round and a cuttable player, and you got the other one for a fourth-round pick. So then you have two mid-round picks battling it out and developing under Phillip Rivers. You could hit Sam Darnold with the fifth-year option so he could start for you on the fifth-year option in 2022 where you don't have to pay him yet. And you could have both of those guys battling and learning and developing under a Hall of Famer in Phillip Rivers next year. You have Phillip Rivers coming back who is capable this year of winning 11 games without a preseason, without a training camp, or at least a normal training camp, getting to know all his new receivers, first year in this system in Indianapolis, although he's already played with Sirianni and Reich before in San Diego. So I think that would be, to me, the ideal plan. You bring Rivers back, and then you either go get a young guy who a team's giving up on, like Sam Darnold, who's talented but just has been in a terrible spot. You have Jacob Eason. Maybe Eason's the guy. I don't know. We haven't seen anything, so it's hard for us to evaluate a guy who gets practice squad reps in practice. They might know. 
they might Rivers might be talking about you know not knowing what his future is because maybe maybe they see Eason lighting it up in practice and that's the plan. We just don't know because we're not there. And then my other option would be to bring in another guy in the draft this year. But I like the idea of a young quarterback, whether it's Eason or Darnold or both or Eason and a 2021 rookie quarterback this year, having them under Rivers, but going into next year in a spot where you could do a Kurt Warner, Eli Manning, and have that baton handoff during the year. Phillip Rivers right now still has gas. And the way I view it, I don't want to give up on Phillip Rivers until the tank is on E. And right now it's not on E. It's not on empty. He still has gas in the tank. So I would like to see him come back. And if he runs out of gas in the middle of October and we're sitting at 6-2 and two or something like that, and it's just starting to get more and more obvious that we're winning this game on the legs of Jonathan Taylor and the push of the offensive line and the spark of the defense, and we say, you know what, it's time to make this very difficult decision and pass the baton to Jacob Eason or to Sam Darnold or to a quarterback to be named in the 2021 draft. I would like to see that because I don't want Rivers' career in Indy to end like this. I'd rather it end after next year or during next year because the quarterback I saw this year, I'm not ready to just let ride off into the sunset. Unless, of course, he wants that. But right now, I would be on board with bringing Rivers back, one-year deal, and basically riding him into the ground. When the tank's on E and he's ready to ride off, then you let him retire. But right now, I would definitely be in favor of bringing him back. But I would bring him back with a better plan than this year. I don't want it to be, okay, you know, in the middle of December, his arm is shot and Jacoby's the starting quarterback. If it's a handoff, it better be a handoff to a guy who could take it and run for the next 10, 15 years. Ideally. It's not easy to do, but ideally. I 100% agree with you. I would do Banigou in a third and a hot, I mean, just in a millisecond for Darnold. I still don't think... I'm not ready to give up on Darnold. I think he, he was in a situation that was untenable in New York. Horrible situation. I, I know there's a lot of rumors about Carson Wentz. I don't want any part of that. I, I would much rather you know roll with Darnold, see what he's got left, maybe let him sit behind Rivers, clear his head, learn the offense. Maybe you, you bring him in on some quarterback sneak plays or, or, or rollouts, bootlegs, whatever, because he can actually run. Darnold's actually surprisingly athletic, which I which – I, which is one of the things I really like about him. But, um, yeah, that's what I, I would love to see that happen. I mean, I want Rivers back. I think he's earned the right to come back. I think if you give him an offseason to prepare and practice with it, with his teammates and Ballard goes out and, and gets more depth on the offensive line, and he obviously is going to do that, and he's going to identify some talent and, and get that done this year so we're not playing five guys with three scrubs behind them. I really think he'll have an even better season next year. I think the offensive line is going to be the strongest that it's been next year because I think Ballard is definitely going to go into this offseason with the thought that we cannot we cannot depend on this line staying healthy. We've got to have deep depth at this position because our offense is predicated on running the ball, and you've got to be able to run the ball to set up the pass, and you can't do that if you've got to tackle – or two tackles that are just trash cans. You can't do it. And so I think as good as Rivers was this year, I think he will be even better next year. Because this isn't an offense where you need a laser rocket arm, to quote uh, you know, Peyton in one of his commercials. It's just an offense where you have to have really good judgment 
Uh, you got to get the ball out fast. You have to be able to read things, you know, and, and the, it, it, quickly and, and go through your progressions quickly. And Rivers does that. And he gets us in and out of plays that are bad, you know, and gets us in good plays. And I, I just don't think people give him enough credit for identifying defenses and being able to check to the right play and just know what defenses are doing from his film study or from his experience. I don't think you can put a price on that. And so I'm willing to give up the, you know, the ability to run or whatever, to be athletic at 39 or whatever, 40. I'm willing to give that, that athleticism up for a guy that's seen it all and no, no situation is going to be too big for him. I thought he was outstanding today. The difference in this game wasn't, you know, him playing bad. It was other guys making mistakes, our coaches not doing, you know, our coach not doing a good job with situations and, and wasting timeouts that had nothing to do with Phillip rivers. So hopefully they'll bring him back. This team will be, I think just as good or better next year with, with improved roster. The one concern I do have is losing flus. Cause I don't know who's going to, who, who Ballard will bring in, but I know he will bring in somebody that runs a very similar system to flus because that's what he wanted. If you guys remember everybody that bitches about flus, the one thing that Chris Ballard wanted here when he when McDaniels said he didn't want the job was Matt Eberflus. He still wanted him to be here. So when Wright came in, that was somebody that he had to get along with because that's how badly Chris Ballard wanted Flus because he wanted him to run his defense. And it turned out it was the right move. We've had a good defense. I mean, last year was you know a little off, but if you look at the numbers, it's been a pretty consistently solid defense all three years he's been here. So. I think he's going to be an outstanding head coach. I thought he did a good job today. Uh, this, you know, 27 points looks like a lot, but when you're talking about the Buffalo offense, um, you know, you're talking about a team that averaged what 32 points a game and like 47 over the last three. So I thought, I thought he coached a, a decent game and really a good game. I thought that the game plan was solid. We just don't have any edge rushers, Luke. That's yeah. the problem. We can't get to the quarterback. And that was a different. I mean, we just couldn't get to Allen. That was that was a huge thing. And when the one time we did get to him, he fumbled the ball. So I yeah. mean, I thought we, we got there early to... in the game. At least I thought we put pressure on him early in the game, but we never got home. And then at the end of the game, the one time we got home, he fumbled. Yeah, that and and, and listen, going into the offseason, like two for times me, we got, we got about... I think we had two sacks in the second half. Yeah, and listen, going into the offseason, and not to you know, we'll talk about this at nauseum because that's what we do in the offseason is talk about the draft and free agency. But the, the two spots that this team has to upgrade is tackle and defensive end. We have got to get, whether it's through free agency or through the draft, they have got to upgrade their defensive end. I thought Al-Qadim Muhammad was the best defensive end on our team today. Him and Autry yeah. were, were, were solid. I thought Houston, I mean, I just I don't think Houston's got much gas left in the tank. And Teray was awful. They benched him after the, Man, he jumped off sides. Off sides so so, yeah, I mean, it was awful. So, They've got to, They've definitely got to do something about that group. They need more bendy guys as far as edge rushers go. They don't really have a lot of bendy guys. Teray's really the only one. So, And I think he's going to have to have surgery after the year. I've heard a rumor. I don't want to say where I got that from, but there's a rumor that he's going to have to have a foot surgery after the season. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but I have heard that. So he needs to get healthy. That's the biggest thing for Teray. He's the one guy, the wild card guy, that could really – you know, he could really be that guy that, that comes in on third down and rushes the quarterback. But, you know, he's got to get 100% healthy. I still don't think he's fully recovered from his injury from last year. And uh, I think it's going to probably be 
a situation where, you know, you, you really hope you, you add some depth to that position and we add some speed because we really don't have a lot of speed. We have more physical guys there. Like, you know, Danico's been solid and, and, and uh, Al-Qadim Muhammad and Taekwon Lewis. Those are just a few of those guys and they're not really bendy guys. So definitely that's a position we need to address. I thought, you know, that was a big issue with our defense today. We just could not get a lot of pressure on him because we just don't have those edge guys that, that, that can really get there. So I expect Bauer to upgrade that. I expect Bauer to upgrade corner. I expect Bauer to upgrade the tackle position. Uh, those are things that he will absolutely do. And I, and the biggest thing is Jim Mercer has come out and said he is going to extend Bauer uh, in the off season. And that, yep. to me, that's the biggest thing of all. Like you extend that guy, give him a five-year extension, give him a whatever extension. Yeah, seriously, and just keep him here because that guy, I, I, I wouldn't trade him for anybody. Like he's, he's just so good. Yes, I've had some issues, the Vinatieri situation, and not getting a tackle. But for the most part, this guy's a home run hitter. I mean, he is a home run hitter when it comes to the draft. I mean, even a guy like Isaiah Rogers, Luke. Oh yeah, I mean, Isaiah Rogers looks like he's going to be outstanding. I mean, he's great on special teams. He made a hell of a play in the end zone. That's a really tough pick. He almost made it. Didn't and, quite get it, and but also, it was a great play. And did also, the play that didn't count, and I know it might not have been at 100% speed because Allen was just throwing it out there knowing that it was a free play and he couldn't actually throw a pick, but his hips, everything was perfect technique-wise yep. on that yep, play that was. didn't count after Trey jumped off sides. And then the very next play that did count, he almost had a pick in the end zone, and then he hurls the guy on special teams. And not only is he, Ballard, a home run hitter, but he hits home runs without swinging for the fences. Like, you could say the trade for Buckner was swinging for the fences, trading a first-round pick. But outside of that, like, even Quentin Nelson, he traded back and hit a home run with Quentin Nelson. He got Darius Leonard in the yep. second round. He got Blackman in the third round. If Easton turns out to be a franchise quarterback, he'll have hit a home run in the fourth round with a quarterback. So he's a home run hitter that does his damage in the second and third round. So he's he's a really a gap hitter. He He's going for the gaps, and a couple times the ball just carries out. And he's just he's fantastic. And uh, I was just taking a look at these game stats, Jason. Time of possession, Colts 34 minutes, Bills 25 minutes. Total yards, Colts 472, Bills 397. Passing yards, wow. Colts 309, Bills 301. Rushing yards, Colts 163, Bills 96. First downs, Colts 27, Bills 22. Penalties, 2-2. Turnovers, 0-0. Sacks, Colts 2 Sacks defensively, Bills 0. Total plays ran, Colts 76, Bills 58. We dominated this game in every aspect, every statistical category. This game was dominated by the Colts. And I just think if you watch the game play-by-play, there's more talent that pops on the Colts side. And this is a good Bills team. And besides the quarterback, who's obviously an MVP caliber guy, in Allen, if you take his legs away, like if you if you equalize the mobility between Phillip Rivers and Josh Allen, I think the Colts win this game by 21-plus. Yeah, I mean, listen, Josh Allen's a special talent, and as far as just the stats go, I mean, it just it just it goes back to our main point, man. You just can't beat yourself. You can't. I mean, the the, the game within the game, and and the difference. I mean, the difference in this game was is they just did not beat themselves. That's what it came down to. Like for us, getting in the red zone and not getting points. Um, I mean, that's uh, that's unacceptable. You know, some of the play. I mean, just the the wasted timeout. 
you just these are little things and it's like it's like Tony Dungy used to say you know you take care of the little things the big things will take care of themselves well the Colts did not take care of the little things today they did not do that and the big thing was the game and they lost it so very disappointing disheartening loss but listen you cannot beat yourself in the playoffs and you can look at the stats all you want but the Bills they just didn't make the mistakes they just did not make any mistakes and you know and we made too many. We listed up. We list. We listed off six things that we did in this game that you can't do and beat a good team. And we did all six of them. And if we do one, one thing goes the other direction. It's probably a different outcome. But that's the game. That's football. And that's the way it goes. That's true. And then also somebody just added me on Twitter that you have to blame the replay team for the Colts, not Frank Reich for throwing the challenge. I do blame both. I have it on this podcast, yeah. so I want to blame the replay team too. But if you're Frank Reich, you have jumbotrons, you have a feel. I just, yes, it's on the replay team. You also know you only have one timeout. So you really need to stress it to those guys. You can't just take their word. You have to stress it. How close is it? Is it 50-50? Is it 60-40? Is it 99? Like, what is the percentage of this to you because it was a big play in the game so if there was a chance then i would have said throw the flag because getting a turnover there would have been much bigger than keeping a timeout for the end of the game because at that point it was still we were still trailing and playing catch up well we trailed the whole time but we were still trailing i think by two scores at that point and if you're frank reich you need to know i only have one timeout left if I lose this challenge because I already blew one earlier in the game. And that's just part of that not having a feel for the circumstances. You're not you're playing that whole scenario different if you have all three timeouts. If you have all three, you could think about the gamble of the challenge. It's the fact that you only have two timeouts. So if you lose that, you're down to one timeout. And you know because you're trailing, those timeouts are going to come back big at the end of this game and they would have if we had timeouts at the end and it all plays together so yes i blame the replay team because it was so obvious it was so in, like anybody who said to reich and reich i think it's only about 500 this year on challenges so that team should the whole replay team should just be shot into the sun but whoever told him <laughs> to challenge that today because to give frank reich a break the only way He's throwing that flag. If I'm him, the only way I'm throwing that flag is if I have 100% certainty from my head replay guy. And if my head replay guy is saying, yes, it's 100%, it's going to get overturned, it's indisputable that the ball came out and the knee wasn't down, that guy has to be fired. Because that was way too obvious for that guy to keep it. Because that's your main job. Most turnovers are, did the knee go down or not? And that was so insanely obvious. And if Reich listened to a player, if a player said, oh, I saw his knee, then then, <laughs> then that's really bad on Reich's part because the players always think the ball came out. Unless they're on offense, then they never think the ball came out. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. One one other thing I wanted to mention, um, this is little solace after, after a loss and a tough loss at that, but one thing the Colts certainly did, especially defensively, was was they earned the Bills' respect. I just saw a quote from Cole oh, yeah. Beasley. Said, he said uh, this is by far the best defense he's played all year. I think that's, I mean, that's, a, uh, that's a huge compliment to these players and a huge compliment to our defensive coordinator um, They because the, the, the Bills have played some good defenses. I mean, the Patriots are never easy. The Dolphins' defense, other than obviously the game they 
the last game where they just laid down was pretty good. And they, they played some really good defenses. So I really appreciate it when other teams, you know, really show respect, even after a win to the teams that they played. They know the Colts really fought their ass off. And, and I'm sure they, they, you know, especially after last year coming up short in that Houston game, I'm sure they know how hard it is to be on the losing end of a game like this when it's super close. But I, I appreciate that 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 compliment that that he gave our defense, and I, I really, I mean, honestly, I, I really hope the Bills go to the Super Bowl. I, I like their team, I like their players, I have a lot of respect for for their organization, their quarterback, and their fan base. I mean, their fan base is, is as good as it gets as far as you know being supportive and and all that. So I, I'm definitely nobody gives a shit, but I'm definitely going to be rooting for the Bills. I would love to see them go to a Super Bowl and, and win one because they, they certainly deserve it in that, in that city, and those fans absolutely deserve it. They're, they're definitely a great fan base, and, and I really, really enjoyed watching. Unfortunately, Josh Allen, just you know, he had, a, he had a great game, but I really enjoy watching him play. He's a fun guy to watch play. Yeah, and you just think of 25 years. So if I was a yeah. Bills fan, today would have been the first ever win that I've actually got to witness as a fan. And I couldn't fathom that, going through the Manning era, winning a couple really big playoff games with luck, even though we knew those teams weren't going to go on to win a Super Bowl. In the moment, it's still fun. You're a fan, you're rooting for your team, you're in the playoffs, you go on the road and you beat Denver. I mean, those were great wins to come back against Kansas City. And I'm just thinking, wow, if I was a Bills fan, and of course – could be worse. You could be a Browns fan, or there's plenty of teams that haven't had any postseason success. But I mean, even our baseball team, the Baltimore Orioles, we haven't had the most success. Gonna, we haven't won a we haven't gonna... won a championship. But I, I saw a playoff win in person with the Orioles and yeah. a series yeah. win. So and we went to an was, ALCS. Was, so that's just gonna, success. Yeah. That's not a championship, but it's success. And then when you look at this Bills team. If their last win was in '95, and I was born in '95, and you have no memory of your one through five, six, seven. I would say my earliest memories of the Colts are probably fourth, fifth grade. So that's like 12 years old, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. And at that point, you don't even have pain yet. So the wins aren't even that great because you never even went through the suffering of being terrible or having tough losses like this one or Pittsburgh in 05. And I'm happy for their fans. And I'm not one of those kind of guys. Like usually I'm like, screw whoever we lose to. But from a fandom standpoint, those fans, they've been waiting, and they're a great fan base too. And they showed that little dock right before the game. And these guys have been waiting a really, really long time. And I just couldn't imagine today of like if I was a Bills fan, today would have been my first ever playoff win. I can't get over that. And if you're a 50-year-old man with a 25-year-old son, it would have been your first time since you were his age watching your team win a playoff game. Like that's that's insane to me. So I'm really, really happy for that. I mean, it sucks. I wish they didn't have that moment, or I wish that moment for them came against another team. But unfortunately, it was us. It was a well-fought game. It was a great game. And I'm sure any neutral fan that wasn't a Colt fan or a Bills fan today was able to sit back and enjoy two really good teams. And this did not look like a 2-7. This looked like a 3-4, maybe even a 1-2 or a 2-3 matchup. It did not look like a matchup between a 2-seed and a 7-seed. Especially because the seven seed, I really did think for a majority of the game, was the better team. So, again, congratulations to the Buffalo Bills, their fans, Josh Allen, who's going to get a hefty, hefty contract extension this offseason. And everybody involved there for the Buffalo Bills, 25 years. That's a really, really long time. You have a lot of Bills fans that have been waiting a quarter of a century 
for today. And unfortunately for us, it had to come at the expense of the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, and, and what I would say to our fan base, who, who you know I love, and obviously, especially the fans of our show, is, 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 is this sucks, obviously. And we're, we're down, and I'm sure you guys are down too. And, and it really, you know, it's never easy when a season ends. But what I would tell you is we're going to be fine. This team's going to be back next year. They've got too much talent. They really, really have so many great young players, a great locker room. Yes, this is a heartbreaking loss, and, and, you know, a lot of things you could be upset with this team about. But one thing that you can't be upset with is their effort and the way they represent the, 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 the uniform, the city. I mean, they're, they're, most, they're great guys. They play hard, and that's all you can ask for. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to play a perfect game. Do we wish things would have went a little different today? Uh, I mean, absolutely, of course. You always want to win. But I would say this. They're really, really great young guys. It's a very easy team to root for, a great locker room. I'm extremely proud of them, and I'm excited about the future. I really am. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you guys, I, I know it's tough to, to see it now, but when you take a step back, it was a really great year. 11 wins, a lot of fun games, the Green Bay game, the Tennessee butt-kicking on Thursday night. I mean, it, so many fun moments this season, and, and yeah, it's an abrupt end. But I think it's only the beginning, man. I think this team's going to continue to ascend. I think next year they'll be even better. The roster will be even better. And uh, I truly believe the best times are ahead of us. So don't get down. You know, keep your head up. Uh, we'll, we'll have a lot of fun in this offseason. We're going to mix up some different things on the show. We're going to do some fun stuff. Maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll talk to you about that. And, and uh, you know, the draft and everything. We're going, to, we're going to do all that stuff. But as far as today goes, man, yeah, it's, it's tough. But keep your head up. This team will be back. They've got the right DNA in that locker room. They've got great players in that locker room, and they've got the right guy. The GM is is as good as it gets. So he'll get the right guys in there. And so I would just tell everybody, you know, it's tough. Keep your head up. We'll be back. This team will be back for sure. Yep, I agree. I agree with everything you said. And it sucks. It's tough to deal with. The day of and maybe the week of, but we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know what, patch up a couple things here and there, and we'll be back this time next year. And hopefully we come out on the winning end wildcard weekend, or hopefully we get the first round by next year and we're the one seed in the AFC. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. So that'll just about do it for us. We'll be back this week, a couple different podcasts as we kind of feel our way through to free agency, the draft, as we get the offseason kicked off. We'll still do a little bit more on the 2020 season we'll wrap a couple things up tie up a couple loose ends and then we'll start to get into in-house free agents external free agents interviews and all that fun stuff this offseason so a fun season jason another good one for us on the for the culture podcast in the books thanks to all the listeners out there who stuck with us all year and listened to all of our podcasts where we're crying over a loss and bitching about this and moaning about that and <laughs> screw the refs and oh my gosh uh... break, how, how could you do but we made it to this point. We made the playoffs, go 11-5. and five. There's no moral victories. But as fans, there is something to going 11-5. and five. It's a lot different than the teams that were sitting at home today. And some people will say, oh, it's only one week. We got one more week of football. I don't buy that. To me, we had eight more weeks of football than some teams. We had 10 more weeks of football than some teams. Because if you're a 4-12 and 12 team and your season ends week 7, you don't have one less game than us because I woke up on Sunday 
week 13, week 14, week 15, week 16, week 17, pumped up to watch my team make a push for the playoffs. The Miami Dolphins, yep. their season ended last week, but they went to week 17 with meaningful games. The Texans' season was over, and they don't even have a first-round pick. Their season was over, <laughs> I would say, week maybe week four at 0-4. When you have two teams in your division like the Colts and Titans, your season was over at 0-4, and, and they don't have a first or a second-round pick. Their first pick doesn't come till 67th overall this year. <laughs> their first and second-round yeah. pick go to Miami. And Miami had meaningful football all the way up until last week. So I'll take the season we just had. And there were people telling me in August or September, October, the only way this is a successful one-year deal with Phillip Rivers is if we win a Super Bowl. We had 20 years of manning and luck. We won one Super Bowl. Did we only have one year of success? Because I would say we had multiple years of success with Peyton Manning. I thought... Those 12-win, 13-win, 14-win teams, they might not have gotten to the ultimate goal, and they might not have been the most successful team in the league, which is winning a Super Bowl those years. But to compete and to have winning football is a lot more fun than 7-9 and being out of it by week 13 like we were last year with Jacoby. We got to the playoffs. We had a meaningful game all the way up until this week. We go out against a good Bills team, and we fight tooth and nail to the final seconds ticking off the clock there on the Hail Mary at the end of the game. Should they brought Jacoby in for the Hail Mary? Yes, they should have. I don't know why you had a quarterback that could only reach the seven-yard line, but whatever. It is what it is. The season's over. We'll be back at some point this week to go over a couple different things from the 2020 season and then start to look at the in-house free agents. That's my man, Jason Spears. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. We'll be back at some point this week, guys. Keep your heads up. It was a solid season for the Indianapolis Colts, and it's a young team that's just going to continue to get better. We'll be back at some point this week right here on the For the Culture Podcast.